Hi, and welcome to Peace in the Middle East with Hana. Today's guest really needs no introduction. He is the man behind the Abraham Accords. It is really an honor to introduce the United Arab Emirates Ambassador to the United States, Ambassador Alotiba. Ambassador Alotiba, thank you so much for agreeing to do this call with me today. Um, I really, really appreciate it. I know you've been doing tons of these recently, um, and in everyone, you've been able to offer a new perspective, um, which is really, really important. Um, and I'm really excited for our conversation today. My pleasure. It's great to be with you, Anna. Thank you. Um, so to start off, I wanted to ask more of a general question about the Middle East. Um, what do you think mm-hmm. are some of the biggest misconceptions about the Arab-Israeli conflict, which is something that is often covered, but I think that um, sometimes it's very hard to see a straight approach when there's so much bias involved. Yeah, that's a good question. And honestly, I, I haven't had, I haven't received that question in the past. But I think the biggest misconception about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, but you can also apply that same misconception to others, is that it's a religious battle. That it's a battle between Islam and Judaism, or that it's a cultural battle. Uh, there's this uh, narrative of the clash of civilizations that the East and the West or, you know, people of different cultures can't ultimately get along. I completely do not subscribe to that. I actually, I oppose it. I think we're all human beings. We all live in the world together. Uh, sure, we, you know, see diff- we, we have different points of view in different cultures, but we're all humans at the end of the day. and We can coexist. The, the model in the UAE has proven that different Different religions, different ethnicities, different backgrounds can live in one place and basically work together and live together peacefully. So I think the biggest disagreement is that it's a religious issue uh, and not a political issue. Right. Interesting. And so what do you think is the point of conflict? The point of conflict is both sides believe that that's their land (laughs) and refuse to acknowledge the other one's argument. Very true. If we zoom out a little bit from the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, um, the general Arab-Israeli conflict in the region, how how much of it is affected by the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? So I, I think it's all driven by the Palestinian conflict, but what you're seeing now between the Abraham Accords and maybe subsequent potential countries normalizing is saying, hey, look, we do believe in the Palestinian um uh, cause. We do believe in the two-state solution. We do believe that Palestine should have a country just the same way Israel should have a country. But they are still choosing to consider having relationships with Israel while still maintaining uh, support for a Palestinian state. I don't think you know the two are mutually exclusive. Just because the UAE or Bahrain or others may want to have a relationship with Israel for very valid bilateral reasons, right? does not mean that we have given up on the Palestinian cause. On the contrary, I can make an argument saying we are in a better position to be influential and be helpful on the Palestinian cause because we now have a relationship with Israel and because we have leverage with Israel. Right, very true. Very true. Um, And I know everyone's been asking recently what happened to allow the Abraham Accords to happen. Um, And I know people have been talking a lot about the renewed sense of trust do you think that's it? Do you think the reason why the Abraham Accords was able to happen now is because of a new sense of trust, or is there something deeper that contributed? 
I, I think it's definitely because of a sense of trust. For, for a country like the UAE to go and do, you know, to actually execute the Abraham Accords, you need a certain level of trust, and you have to be able to take a leap of faith, because that's not an easy decision, right? Sure. Um, but I think what also drove it to happen the way it did and at the time it did was the, the, the conversation about annexation. There was a debate about annexation, and annexation, what I, I personally think was going to be very harmful for the region. It was going to be harmful for us. It was going to be harmful for Israel. It would have alienated Israel further, and I think it would have put in the, the U.S. in a position where it had to defend a very tough decision by Israel. So I, I think right. what, what gave us that detour to do it now was the conversation on annexation, which the Abraham Accords basically prevented. So I, I, we came up with a, you know, a clever diplomatic solution and created a win-win outcome that worked for everyone. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's an internal change over the past 10 years within the Sunni states that allowed such an agreement to happen? I, I, think, I think attitudes are changing. Uh, whether it happened over the last five years or 10 years, I don't know. I, I look at polls and I look at data and I look at numbers and I think – the conclusion I draw is very simple. People are tired of conflict. People are tired of ideologies and the role of religion. People are tired of, you know, seeing something that has not produced results. Like, I'm a big fan of the Arab Peace Initiative. I thought the Arab Peace Initiative was a great idea. It was launched in 2002. But ever since it was launched, there has been no progress on it. It didn't work. It didn't achieve the outcome it was designed to achieve. So, you know, we can turn the question back around and say, okay, well, we didn't achieve progress on the Arab Peace Initiative for the last 18 years. Should we wait another 18 years before we try a different approach? So I, I, I still think that the Arab Peace Initiative is a great idea, but I also think we need to sort of either make progress on it or try something different. Meanwhile, young Arabs are saying, it's this, whatever we're trying isn't working. Let's try something else. Right. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the um, amazing growing youth population in the Middle East um, and about the gap of ideology between the different generations. What do you think is the reason for that gap in ideology? I think I think young people are growing up and thinking about their futures. You know, they're thinking about jobs. They're thinking about opportunities. They're thinking about, you know, starting careers or families. And ideology usually doesn't deliver on any of those, right? Ideology doesn't deliver uh, on education. Ideology does not deliver on, you know, uh, being qualified to get a job or, you know, launching your own startup. So I, I think young people just look at, you know, am I going to be in a position where I can uh, be successful? And ideology rarely delivers on that front. Okay. And what do you think it will take to get um, other countries to follow in the um, historic path of the Emirates and Bahrain in normalizing relations with Israel? Well, I think countries need to make their own decisions based on their own criteria, based on their own politics, based on their own public opinion, based on if the, their societies and their people are ready for this decision. Like I was saying, it, this is not an easy decision to make. On a good day, this is a difficult decision to make, but you can only make it if you are confident that this is A, the best decision for you and your country, B, that your people are behind you, 
see that you are going to sort of, you have a vision where you want to go and what, what this is ultimately going to do and how you're going to be able to work together. Like, not every country is going to see that or going to have the same assessment, right? Uh, UAE and Bahrain have done so. I think I think others are going – I know others are thinking about it, but the first thing that they need to see is that this experiment, the Abraham Accords, UAE and Bahrain, has been successful. We have to demonstrate that this approach was successful, at least successful for us. Wow. And we have to show that this is – better for our national security interests, that this is better for our people, that this is going to create opportunities and jobs, that this is going to ultimately help move the needle on the two-state solution. So if people see that, if people come away with that analysis or conclusion from the Abraham Accords, then I think they're more likely to think about it. But again, this is not an easy decision, and people need to make it on their own terms and on their own timing. Right. I'm... Why do you think that the UAE was able to start this historic path? Like, what unique situation were they, is the country in that they're able to do this? Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I, I think the most important one is, you know, one, we felt that the current stalemate or current approach to, 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 to the Palestinian issue just simply wasn't working, just hasn't delivered. So we were prepared to try something different. And second, we, we, we felt that the people in the UAE were supportive of this. And, and I, you know, there's, there's data and polling now that proves that we were right. And, you know, three, we, we think that there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, look, Egypt and Jordan have relationships with Israel, right? They're very tough on the Palestinian issue. Sweden and Norway have a relationship with Israel, and they're very tough on the Palestinian issue. And so we, can, we, we, we decided that we can have a relationship with Israel. We can talk about a series of things where we can agree on. But we can also talk about a series of things like the Palestinian issue that we might disagree on, but at least we're talking about it. I think our foreign minister said uh, in a talk once, he's like, not having a relationship, not having a channel to communicate hasn't solved anything. When we have this lack of communication and lack of understanding, the problem doesn't go away. So let's, tar- let's try another approach. Let's have a relationship with Israel where we can have certain tangible benefits, but also have a conversation about the challenges we all face. What do you see right now as the biggest threat to the stability of the Middle East? Extremism. Extremism, radical thought, um, ideologies, political Islam, um, lack of acceptance and tolerance. All of the above. These, these are all different ways of saying the same thing, right? I'm saying that if you do not agree with my point of view, therefore you are my enemy or you are my adversary. There's this. There's. We've become very judgmental. We've become very intolerant. We've become very exclusionary. Um, I, by the way, I see this everywhere. I see it in, in media coverage in the West. I see it in religious debates in, in the Middle East. I see it. There's this. It's us versus them on everything, and. If you don't agree with me, then you're an you're an idiot. Not it's it's not it's not it's no longer just a disagreement or we have a different point of view. I must demonize kind of anyone who who I disagree with. And to me, that that lack of civility, lack of understanding, lack of respect, lack of tolerance, whatever you want to call it, I, I think the growth of that, the mainstreaming of that, to me, uh, is something I worry about a lot. Yeah. And do you see the trend of that getting better or worse in the Middle East? 
right now it's not getting better. And that's why we're doing, we've become so vocal about tolerance and exception, acceptance and, and respect and inclusion, whether it's the Special Olympics and accepting people of determination who need help, or welcoming the Pope for the first time in the Arabian Peninsula, or building an Abrahamic house. We've become vocal about these things because of exactly the dynamic I was just describing, because of the lack of tolerance. And we felt that, that you know, first of all, it's part of our values. It's the way we grew up. It's like our DNA. But we feel like, you know, the Middle East and Islam are, are, are getting a very bad reputation because of these dynamics. So we have to speak up. We have to show the world that, yes, there are, there are Arab countries and Arabs and Muslims who are willing to build a synagogue, a church and a mosque right next to each other to show the world that this can be done. We are willing to have a relationship with Israel. We are willing to host the Pope. We are willing to do all these things because it's so important to who we are as a people. Right. Definitely. Do, do you see other countries in the region following in the path of the, of the UAE? Uh, it's Look, if we can do it and set an example, it's up to other countries to decide if that's an example they want to follow or not. It's hard. It's hard, and it's actually... I don't recommend saying, hey, great, look at our model. Our model is great. You guys should all follow us. No, I don't think I don't think that's the right approach. I think it actually backfires. It works for us. This model works for us because that's who we are and that's what we believe in. Now, if others want to follow it, if others want to emulate it, that's that's their decision. I it's 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 weird for me to speak um either on behalf or to suggest to other countries what they should or shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And as the Middle East is changing, do you think that it's also becoming a less religious region? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But I do know that people are starting – I'm going to send you a poll at some point for you to look at and feel free to you know use it or cite it. It does reflect that young Arabs, young Arabs throughout the Middle East, uh, feel that religion plays too big of a role in their life or their society. That religion should play less of a role. So whether that you know continues as a trend and changes the region, I don't know. It's too early to tell. But I can tell you, young Arabs feel that religion plays too big of a role. And this is their own voices saying this, not me. Interesting. That's for the whole Middle East, or just specifically in Emirates? Is the entire Middle East, 17 countries in the in the Arab world, and and it's broken down by country, so you can tell which country, like how each country, uh, how young people in each country view about the role of religion. Now, is is the leadership responding to that, um, or I mean, it's possible for them to go on the opposite extreme? It depends. I think it varies from country to country. It varies about. It varies what the education system looks like. It varies what the political structure looks like. It varies, you know, every country is different. The the biggest misconception I I always face here in the U.S. is they look at the Middle East and the Arab world and they think it's one monolithic block and we're all the same. Uh, we're very different, uh, as you know. Yeah. Uh, just like the, all 50 states are different, right? Most people don't think the entire United States is the same. Like there's differences between your various states and cultures and and traditions and and so so are we in the Middle East. Right. Um, to switch tracks for a second, um, you know, good news from the Middle East, as you know, is very often overlooked in the face of yellow journalism. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I wanted to ask you about some positive changes in the region that um, has been happening over the past couple of years that you could expand on. Yeah. Look, I think we're we're trying to set good examples and good uh, and send good messages from the region, whether it's the Pope's visit or sending you know an astronaut into the International Space Station or sending a probe to Mars or building the Abrahamic House, or opening a Louvre Museum, or opening an NYU or Cleveland Clinic. These are things okay, I well. think, yeah, I think I think these things send a, set a good example and show people that, you know, you can deliver good news in the region. The That same poll I was talking about earlier, they poll all young Arabs and they say, where where in the world would you prefer to live? What's your number one place to live? And this poll is annual, by the way. It comes out every year. Uh, for nine years in a row, young Arabs want to live in the UAE. Wow. So so when you say good news doesn't come out of the Middle East very often, when it does come out, it, it validates people's decisions. You know, when, when young people say they want to live in the UAE, then they ask them why. Well, safety and security, job opportunities, all the things that we were talking about. Right. When you deliver good news, when you have a vision, when you know where you want to go, it it attracts people. It attracts people because, you know, they want to be in an area where they feel they can be successful, where they can feel safe, where they can get a job. So, you know, when I see this poll every year and I see young Arabs choosing to live in the UAE, by the way, over any other place in the world, including the United States and Canada and Japan and France, um, it just, to me, it says we're on the right track. Yeah, for sure. That's incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Something that I wish got much more coverage here in the U.S. I will email it to you as soon as we're done, and you can go through it because I find it fascinating, especially like the questions on gender and identity and and economy and how young people basically absorb information and where do they get their news from. Obviously, it's all social media. But gender questions were fascinating. The identity questions were fascinating. Right. Definitely something you should spend some time with. Well, I'm very excited to see it. Um, so what you just said about social media, how much how much of um, the fact that this world has become very open on social media um, and everything is much more accessible. How much do you think that that's affected the direction of the Middle East? No, I think I think it has affected it a lot. I think that's how young people digest information and get digest their news and communicate. And I think the traditional ways for old people like myself, where <laughs> you would watch the news on TV or read a newspaper, I think that's uh, you know it's not extinct, but it's definitely becoming sort of less popular. Uh, and that's also seen in the data, right? People don't trust news sources the way we used to trust news sources. Right. And it goes back to that argument earlier, which is it's everything is us and them. People get the news that they want, right? Uh, they choose the news channel that feeds their opinions and and and, and mindsets. Very true. Yeah. Uh, um, to finish up with the last question, I like to ask. Um, every person who I interview, what do you think it will take for peace in the Middle East to be possible? It takes vision. It takes vision for sure. And it takes courage. Like the UAE has really exhibited over the past month. I think so, but I'm biased, I admit it. <laughs> um, 
look, nobody, nobody's going to get everything they want. You know, I think you just have to kind of understand that in order for peace to happen, you need political courage and vision, but you're also going to need compromise. Like, you know, you're going to, you, both countries are going to have to live together. Both peoples are going to have to live together. You just have to be able to find a middle ground that makes both sides happy, that makes both sides satisfied. No one's going to get everything. No one's going to kick the other one out and take over. And that's not going to happen. And so you just have to find compromise is not a bad word. Find the the, the suitable compromise that works for everyone. At the end of the day, it's not about who's in the White House or who's uh, in office in the U.N., it's about the two sides coming together and accepting that each one is going to have to give up something, something, to make sure that we get to a place where we have peace. Right. Very true. It's hard to do, but it's very true. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Ambassador, thank you so much again for doing this. Um, You're very really welcome. It was great time. talking to you. And I promise I will send you that poll soon as uh, as soon as I can. <laughs> okay, good. I'm looking forward. All right. Thank you so much, Hannah. All right. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.